Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have two friends of ours to dive into the business of fitness, Steffi and Hayden. Now, they're out in Miami, Florida. They own Hybrid Performance Method together. Steffi is not only a doctor of physical therapy, she is also a world champion powerlifter. Hayden comes with a big background in the fitness space in Olympic weightlifting as well as powerlifting. They have both built a phenomenal business. And today, yes, we dive into a little bit of the powerlifting side. I think that's important to discuss. But we dive more importantly, at least for me, is to understand how they built a business over the last four, five, six years into where it is today. We talk about retail. We talk about learning what you know and what you don't know, how to scale. And I had a phenomenal conversation with them. I truly hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to rate it, review it, share with a friend. There are no paid ads on this podcast. All we ask is if you like it, leave us a review and maybe tell a friend. I hope you and your families are doing well. Let's keep getting after it. Let's keep rising the tides and let's get a great episode. Let's go. All right. So, Steffi Hayden, we were just talking about the hybrid performance method, diving into a variety of different things um, with your with your business. Now, we've we've met a couple times. Um, I've known of you guys for a while, but we really got to spend some time together um, at Mark Bell's kind of meeting of the minds. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that you guys have brick and mortar, but you also have digital, and you have a background that's different than most people listening to on this podcast. So on this podcast, a lot of people are more in the functional training CrossFit space. You guys really come to it with the powerlifting background and also a, a huge awareness of the functional training CrossFit background. But I wanted to ask you guys, um, you have a brick and mortar business, but you also have a digital business. But tell us more about hybrid performance method. What is it? And then, and then I want to dive into a bunch of other stuff. But let's start there because that's your guys' business together, husband, wife. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So – High performance method is we basically created our own software to be able to distribute affordable and easy to access workout programs that are centered around strength training. So initially, you know, we started as an online business. The brick and mortar came after. Uh -huh. um, our main program was hybrid performance, which is a combination of Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, functional fitness, and bodybuilding. So it's like a combination of everything, but with the strength backbone. It all started kind of very organically through our own training. Um, I think at that time I had maybe like 3,000 followers and Hayden was famous. He had 10,000 followers. <laughs> and <laughs> just through our own training, you know, doing Olympic weightlifting and then, and then really supplement, supplementing our powerlifting with weightlifting, even though we were competing, both competing in Olympic weightlifting at the moment. So uh, it's kind of opposite to what most uh, American Olympic weightlifters used to do. So I think that's kind of what caught their their eye initially. People started asking questions, and that's when Hayden actually had the vision. Oh, you know, people are curious about this way of training. They're curious to pick our brains about strength training. We should give them what they're asking for. And it started as uh, a, an email list to beta test the software that we that we began working on, and. We oh, wanted no, it's uh, social media. We put uh, it out on, not on, email, social. On, uh, yeah, on social. On social. We just put out like in our story, we're looking for beta testers. Yeah. We asked for 15 of them, ended up getting like 400. And that was kind of the, uh, the start of everything. Then we started adding on programs, functional fitness, 
powerlifting, upper body only, lower body only, deadlift, squat, whatever. There's 17 of them now. And ended up opening a gym to, honestly, to be able to connect with people in in real time, you know, face to face. Because I think a lot gets lost on media. People forget that you're actually a real person. And there's a lot of value in, in making yourself available for people to come in and meet you, pick your brain, have a good time, be able to just connect, host events and whatnot. So how many years ago did you guys start launching an online platform? And then I really want to dive into the idea to open up brick and mortar. So let's start there though. How, when did you guys open up the online and your first initial social media kind of concept? Uh, that was four years ago, 2016. Um, prior to that, I, I had founded a company called Working Against uh, Gravity with a D who you know. And uh, I had recently sold that and I was kind of looking for my next thing. And around that same time, I had torn my patellar tendon competing in uh, Olympic weightlifting. And it really kind of forced me to take a step back from my training and, and reevaluate everything. Cause I felt like sort of up to that point, I had just done everything that my coach said without asking any questions, without doing any critical thinking. Uh, and when I, when I finally took a step back, it was really clear to me that I was just very weak in the strength movements relative to the Olympic weightlifting movements. For example, like, you know, my max front squat would be the same or sometimes uh, five kilos more than my max clean. Right. So it was like every time I was, I was catching a clean, I was crushing myself. And I was like, yeah, well, no wonder my freaking knees are killing me. And I tore my patellar tendon. So I really, I took a, a lot of time after I came back from that injury to just focus on getting stronger and, and, and was seeing success with that. It was doing, you know, maybe three quarters of my training was strength focused. And then I would do Olympic weightlifting like once or twice a week. And I was hitting PRs in weightlifting. So I was kind of proving my own concept to my, myself. And simultaneously, Steffi was in grad school, and she uh, was just getting frustrated with weightlifting because you, you know how it, it's, it's so mental, Olympic weightlifting. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, she would come out of sitting in class for eight hours a day. She would have to do all her readings and her homework, and then she'd come to the gym and just be so mentally exhausted she couldn't do it. So I was like, why don't you start a, why don't you do a powerlifting program with me, take a little bit of, like, the mental aspect out of it, come in, you know, if you're feeling you're not feeling great you can still do a squat workout you can still do a deadlift workout she did that and the first time she ever tried to do a, a sumo deadlift she deadlifted 315 pounds <laughs> so we were like okay this is definitely something that you have an aptitude for let's let's really push this and that's when all the questions about her training started coming in so you know it kind of just became obvious that there was a market for for people who wanted to to be uh, in multiple disciplines at the same time yeah, yeah starting our starting when we first started hybrid the the dynamic was really interesting you know being boyfriend and girlfriend actually having just started dating we had been dating for what maybe like eight months at most six to eight months at most um and honestly like we heard all sorts of things about how difficult it is to work with your couple and how much stress that causes and we had pretty much the opposite experience i feel like we both gravitated towards roles that we were suited for without but even communicating, it was like you just kind of went to the back and started working on numbers, accounting, finances, setting up uh, systems, you know, because you dealing had, with the software developers. Right. Yeah. You had a lot more experience with that. And I sort of started doing what I love to do, which is train really hard, look good, right. And write, right? Because educate people, that's the other thing that I like. And and really, you know, organically and, and fluidly, we kind of all started working on 
on our own thing. Honestly, didn't even talk about it until a couple of years later. I'm like, oh, gonna- this works really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting because like you know, Mark and his wife, it's a very similar situation. Mark is a little bit more forward facing to the company. Um, and Andy, you know, she's a little bit more behind the scenes getting everything done. And I think that it's a beautiful relationship. Um, you know, Kelly Starrett and Juliet Starrett, another similar example. And that's cool that you guys have those different um, kind of uh, skill sets you could bring to the table. And now when, when you guys are building that out, and I want to keep diving in a little bit more in a, in a second about your relationship, but for the time being, when it comes to the business, um, I'm really interested. So a lot of people think that online businesses are just so easy, right? You have no overhead. You're just going to crush it. And that's not always the case. But a lot of people recognize that opening up a brick and mortar location, it comes a lot of stress and it comes a lot of um, overhead. And, and the barrier to entry is pretty tough because you got to get the money to go build it out and all that kind of stuff. You can't just start an online company. And so I want to dive both these angles. One is what made you go from having an online business that I assume was you know, relatively successful early on and you kind of saw the, the beauty, why would you guys take on the risk, the overhead, the liability to open up a brick and mortar? I mean, I know you want to connect with people. I think that's important. And for us at our gyms, I think it's really important to have like a, a laboratory, like a testing grounds where we're trying to create stuff. But what was your guys' reason for opening it? And what have you guys learned the hard way or easy way about opening up a brick and mortar? For us, it's been, I think, a net positive experience from – know many different many different aspects initially what drove us to be interested in opening our own gym was the fact that no other gym in the area had the equipment that we needed to train Mm. because we were training hybrid so if we went to train our crossfit gym we were pressed in uh space you know and time usually space and time because you're running classes yeah you know, it, it gets a little bit complicated. Then bumper plates, you can't fit as many as many plates on the bar as you need. Really, that was like a real I don't real really struggle. run into that problem that often. But <laughs> <laughs> that was a real struggle. They also, uh, not, not a, or very few gyms were like um, friendly with us filming content. They either wanted us to pay a fee to do it, uh, you know, or come in at like really weird hours. Uh, yeah, like that. so convenience, convenience for our own training was the main driving um kind of force um and then when we you know i who, who did i talk to doug, doug larson. larson so i spoke yeah. to doug larson i was like look listen i would love to get your input we're doing really great online we 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 have the money to put into to opening our own space you know what what do you think and his perspective was really interesting he was like well you know if you don't have to see every every single decision you make for your business in terms of what direct value are you going to derive from it because there's or certain what monetary or what monetary value you're going to drive from it because some things don't have a tangible a tangible monetary value right so if you say that you're you're trying to open up space in your in your garage so you can train right uh where are you going to put all the stuff that's in there you're going to go and take it to a storage unit and the storage unit isn't necessarily going to make you money but the content that you film in your gym might right so it was similar to 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 that analogy to open our own gym and and you know maybe we didn't think of it as like okay so we need x x amount of members to break even we need x amount of members to start making money we didn't see it that way we just kind of really took the risk and 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 figured that in the long run potentially the fact that we're going to have access to a gym 24 7 that's ours that we have full control over that we can buy all the equipment that we need that in turn will allow us to create better content to, you know, 
test our, our, our theories to bring, invite people in, connect with more people. And that is what's going to make us money. So we saw it as kind of like means to an end. And I think it's also, um, because the gym wasn't our livelihood, uh, we were able to take, to make some decisions, uh, and really just build out exactly what we wanted instead of having to service what we think a, a customer base would want. So it was just like, we want X, Y, Z. That's what's in the gym. If other people like it, they can join us and we'll, we'll have a great training environment together. But, uh, you know, we, we weren't trying to, we weren't building a gym with the idea of, of you know, the gym being something that had to make us money. Right. So, I will, okay. I will say, I do want to add that, you know, growing up and, and being obsessed with athletics and with fitness, my, my lifelong dream was to have a gym. Right. And it's so easy to fall into the strap of like working your way back and being like, right. Like if the spot costs me seven, 10 grand a month and, uh, and the lights are a thousand and whatever, whatever I need X amount of members. And that's easy. You know, I, I only have to get a hundred members to break even 200 to start making profit. And honestly, when I, when we opened our first gym, which was half the size of this one, I thought this is what I thought was going to happen in my own mind. I thought I was going to open the doors and people were going to like fight to get in. That's what I thought was going to happen. And it couldn't have been further from the truth. Like it's hard to get people in through the door. It's very difficult to convince them to leave their previous gym, the people that they used to train with and convince them to buy into your, to your new gym. So, you know, I think that a lot of people are delusional about the fact that they're just going to open seriously that they're just going to open a gym and it's going to do so well. And they're going to make so many millions of dollars. Like yeah. it's hard. I think you need to have a, a, a systems and you need to have a slightly different concept from everything that everyone else is offering and differentiate yourself somehow. Cause there's just so yeah. many gyms and, and it's tough. I think, Especially from the social media. So like, take for example, you guys, right? You look at it like, oh, you know, we're gonna open our doors. We have large social media followings. We're gonna get hundreds of people in the doors. The reality is, is that how many of those people live around your, your area, right? Mm -hmm. And how many of them are interested in coming in? So, so that's something I think a lot of people don't take in consideration is just because you might have an online following, it doesn't always directly correlate to a brick and mortar because these are the people that are around here. Now with your online market, obviously that's a totally different thing. As you grow your digital audience, now you can start getting people from all across the world to buy into what you're offering. And so as you guys grew, right, and you made this decision to open up the brick and mortar, I, I totally get it. I, I appreciate your, your concept about, hey, it's not as easy as, as, as it seems. Um, yeah. But it wasn't the core competency for your business either, right? So, and if it was, I imagine you would have put more effort into getting more people into the gym, hypothetically, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, We've never done any marketing or anything for the gym. It, like all the members that find us, they find us because they're deep down the rabbit hole of strength sports, you know? Yeah. yeah. So as your business has grown and it went from, you know, no employees, you guys doing everything, how, how has it grown over the last couple of years? And I imagine it's grown relatively rapidly in the last four years. How, who's on your team now? So we, we have around uh, 50 people total. Uh, and the, the job's vary we have a lot of different roles uh obviously so sort of just in a timeline of, of how the business grew we we started with the online programming uh 18 months after that we added uh online nutrition coaching which is a personalized service uh then we opened the gym and then uh actually our general manager we, we had just been making like t-shirts for you know people who went to the gym or people and people who were on the online program and just it was kind of an afterthought and he actually had the idea 
to, to start treating that like its own business as well. Um, and, and, you know, really put some, some time and energy into that. And then that actually ended up taking off for us. And, uh, to the point now where we actually had to get, we got another building that's the same size as, as this one. And that's where we do all our screen printing, our storage or shipping and everything is out of there. Um, and you guys, that, you guys operate that, huh? You guys operate your own screen printing shop. Yeah. yeah. So we oh, have, wow. you know, so we have, we have warehouse staff, we have, uh, you know, um, designers, we have people who, you know, work in the gym here. Um, we have online coaches who run all the different, uh, individual programs. So we have like uh, Fernando Reese, who's a three-time Olympian, runs the weightlifting program. We have gymnastics coach uh, Sean Lin runs the gymnastics program. So all the different disciplines have their own coaches. Uh, and then we have uh, moderators within the Facebook group. We have about somewhere between 15 and 20 of those who just sort of direct people through the admin stuff of the site. You know, they answer <laughs> frequently asked questions, tag relevant coaches. Uh, this is, I, I appreciate that question so much because this the, the whole what what the who's the next hire question was used to be like the most stressful question for me because there's no blueprint for how to operate a business like like in the space that we're in like this didn't used to exist you know so it's even hard to even people who are highly accomplished that come from more traditional jobs they don't have the answer right like it's not like a b c d you have to just figure it out as you go so that was it was stressful for me for a long time when it was just Hayden and me and, and Alex doing general management stuff because I knew that in order to get us to the next level, we were going to need someone that had skills that we didn't have, right? Right. So I actually was reading, and I always reference this book, uh, this particular this part. It's a book by uh, Mark Echo. He's a, he's a graffiti artist, and he has his own apparel and whatever. He's most known yeah. for the brand Echo. Yeah, Yeah, Echo. I, yeah I'm familiar with Echo it. Echo Unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. So he explains that when he was growing his business, he had kind of like a, a, his core business was similar to a triangle treat with three aspects where one person has the skill of, he calls it swagger, right? So you have kind of like the vision, you have like the cool factor, you have the appeal from, you know, people wanting to be like you or dress like you or train like you or whatever that might be, right? Then you have brute force. So brute force is the person who like gets shit done. You know, he's like, all right, you have an idea. All right. I think this is a good idea or I think this is not a good idea, but we're going to roll with this one. And he takes it from A to Z and that's hated. And then you have governance, which is she's swagger, by the way. I'm sw well, that's <laughs> yeah. obvious. That's obvious. Um, and then you have governance who is pretty much like an adult figure, you know, the person that oversees and like keeps everyone in line, including you know, not only us, but everyone else, which we don't really have time to do. And that's, are you poking me? Yeah, you're doing this on me a lot. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and that's Ian Kaplan, who's our COO. So Ian was the first hire that I would consider that started giving our company structure and formal structure. Formal structure. And when structure. was that? Oops, and sorry about that. And when was that? So let's, let's back up for a second. You guys have a lot of, you just said a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> you, you grew to 50 employees the last four years or 50 people on, on the team. You spoke about this triangle, which I think is awesome. I haven't heard to it referenced that way, but I can understand how it, how that could come around. Um, I'm really interested in the fact that you chose to screen print your own stuff. That's really interesting to me. And I want to ask why, but, but before all of that, when did you know you needed to hire it's Ian, right? 
Is it Ian? Ian. Yeah. When did you know you needed to hire Ian? So you, Hayden, you guys are doing your thing, rock and rolling, business is growing. And I mean, we, I've gone through similar. This is why I'm asking. When did you know it was time to hire Ian? What was the, what was, and then the next hire, what was like that thing that you think sparked these ideas? It's really funny because Steph and I were talking about this recently. And I think a lot of people, when they start their own business, they're like, you know what? Screw working for somebody else. I just want to work for myself. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. You know, and that's the mindset we had for a long time. And then you get to a certain size of business and you're like, what the hell do I yeah, need to do? I, I really, I, yeah, I really man. want people to start telling me what to do again, you know, yeah. we've, we've gotten it to this size and, you know, we, we have a, a great concept and, and, you know, uh, and, and the growth has been great, but we don't have infinite hours in a day and it, it's very easy for us to get caught up in, you know, Steffi has a million new ideas a day. And we just don't have the bandwidth among ourselves to sort of, you know, go through and explore all those ideas on our own. And, so. and beyond that is what the question of what is your time best spent on doing and what, yeah. what are the things that only you can do for your business? No one else can sit here in this chair and do a podcast about how we started hybrid. So like this is an, an hour or two of my day that no one else could fill, right? Whereas there might be other things like communicating with with employees overseeing making sure that everyone's doing their job marketing coordinating uh ad campaigns that yeah can can i do it can i improve my skills in that realm get better and do it myself yeah absolutely but then what happens with the other things that no one else can do so right. that that was kind of like what what initially drove us to look for someone else i, I really uh, love then, go, go ahead. ahead sorry no please I really love what you said, uh, Hayden, about like when you initially open your business, you wanted like I used to sell gym memberships as a as a college student. And I liked it because the amount of work that I put in was directly correlated to my paychecks. It was like mainly commission based. And when I when I graduated from college, I knew I wanted to open a business because the work I put in was directly correlated to the results that we saw. Right. It was in my control. And but then as you grow to your guys's point you start wanting other people to support you and be on the team and, and brainstorm. And, and you go from like this super entrepreneurial, still entrepreneurial, but you go from like wanting to be like a lone wolf and kind of do your own thing to recognizing there's a lot of value in having a, a pack and a group to collaborate with. I thought that was a really interesting topic. And then obviously Steffi with what you're saying is, you know, recognizing, you know, and for me, I've learned this the hard way is like, where's my time best spent, you know? And I think that's, that's really important, but I am curious, on the screen printing thing because you know a lot of people would say hey just outsource that stuff right um why did you decide not to outsource to another company why did you decide to take on the rent expense the exposure of doing it in-house i'm curious sorry hold on i just wanted to add one more thing to the hiring i just wanted to add one more thing so after ian we actually added on uh, a cmo a cmo that's what it's called yeah. candace yeah. yeah chief marketing officer chief marketing officer yeah and here's what's interesting right before hiring her i had bought like maybe five different marketing books and i was ready to take on that role i'm like i don't know i don't know what we need to do but like we we need to take our marketing to the next level like what we're doing right now is not enough we need ads placed here here and here our our message needs to be consistent the stronger colors email stronger email like you know all these things that i started thinking about that we could improve on that we hadn't been doing and i was ready to take on that role and then Candace kind of fell on our lap. Like she reached out to Ian 
And that was when I realized, I'm like, oh man, like, yeah, that's definitely what we should be doing. Like when there's something that's important that will directly, you know, make our business grow, then it's worth investing on it rather than just spreading yourself so thin and trying to do everything around. If you're in a position to like 100%. make the investment. Yeah. But yeah, so screen printing, go ahead. Yeah, so it, it, uh, it just got to a point for us where um, one, the, the storage that we had in the office at the gym, like on days, we, we, we do usually like limited drops. So we'll, you know, once things are gone, we try to never do the same design again. And we do that a couple times a month with a few different uh, uh, items. So on drop days, our office just looked insane. Like we just have boxes to the ceiling everywhere, you know, and it was chaos. You couldn't really get around. So first we just kind of outgrew the space. So the first idea was maybe we need to get a warehouse to, just service the inventory that we have on, on drop days and drop weeks. Uh, and then we, we did the math on buying a screen printing machine, hiring someone in the shop, you know, uh, rent, buying our own blanks wholesale, uh, doing all that stuff. And it was honestly a no brainer just with the volume that we were doing in shirts. I think it was like, it took us half of one of our, uh, monthly drops to, to, break even on the all the equipment and, and why uh, do you guys only do drops uh, a couple times a month like w what is the the premise behind that i mean i like the idea i'm just asking why why only print a shirt once um one like we, we love the creative aspect of it yeah so it's uh it, it was funny when we were in when it was in its infancy and it wasn't like a core part of our our business we would catch ourselves being so caught up in the creative aspect of like, what's the next design going to be? We're doodling, you know, meanwhile we have this, you know, these other parts of the business that are, that are making us way more money. And we're like diving in every day on, you know, t-shirt designs. So we're like, what, what are we doing? But, um, how did I get sidetracked on that? What was it? What was oh yeah. yeah. Oh. One time print. Oh yeah. So, um, we, we, we modeled uh, our business after uh, some of the, the businesses in like, like street hype, hype, hype street fashion. They do a lot of stuff like that. And like Supreme, Off-White, yeah. Babe, all of those. So uh, they, they're big in like the exclusivity department, you know, making very few to the point where like you have to search for them on different websites and people bid for them. I think that's so fun and, and it makes it makes each piece a lot more special when you know you're one out of 200 people who have it. Yeah, right. we just did we just did one uh, a Captain America one for Fourth of July, for example, and you know every shirt that goes out it had a tag that said you know number seven out of 200 with a little uh, thing that tells the story of the you know what we stand for and what the shirt means and you know with with our signature on it. Uh, and uh, it just, I think it makes the experience and, uh, for the user just, uh, way more engaging and it makes it feel more important. So. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a few reasons. I think the sense of urgency is something that drives people to, to want to buy more and want to be a part of it and the exclusivity as well. You know, like you feel like you've accomplished someone if you got one of those 200 shirts. Right. It makes it um, fun. It's like gamifying shirt purchasing. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I, I love it. And then is that on a month? Do you have any of the monthly subscription or do you just stick to each new drop and then people buy it and then next one drop? Yeah, just, we just do, we do two like core drops a month, usually between three and five pieces. So usually we try to do it first week of the month and then in the middle of the month. Uh, and then we'll do, we started recently just doing um, like super exclusive ones, which are higher price point item 
uh, just t-shirt designs that uh, are even lower in uh, you know inventory than what we would do on a normal drop and uh, you know we'll print them on like a more uh, like a like a champion something that's like trendy right now yeah more expensive also also going back to to positioning you know we didn't want to and, and finding a differentiating factor when you're branding we didn't want to be just another another fitness wear brand because first of all there's so many like that you know just to buy a t-shirt you can go anywhere go to fruit of the loom if you want to just buy a plain t-shirt you know we didn't want to be one of those brands not that there's anything wrong with that but we wanted to do something a little bit more special and with more meaning behind um and so that's why we kind of took the route of like streetwear meets fitness which i think is a category that doesn't even exist right you know so right. just creating something special and different i love it and so over the years you know look i mean this has grown quickly i mean you go from hey let's put out some programs online to let's create our own app to uh you know let's open a gym let's create our own um screen printing and the team has really grown and so for next steps um, for hybrid performance, I mean, for you guys, do you think that, what are a few of the key decisions you've made? Like uh, what I'm hearing from you guys, you guys had to kind of be humble about your hiring decisions and delegate out. Would you say that's like one of the key things that helped in the last four years, you know, kind of get to this point? Because I mean, I, it's pretty remarkable the growth you guys have had and the ability to, for you guys to scale that team up. I mean, what, what kind of issues have you seen that you wish you would have known like if you could know what you know now what would you have done different i think that running lean in the beginning was was the best thing that we could have done like we handled as much as we could handle individually until we couldn't anymore and then that, then we made our first hire you know uh, and we kept going like that i think later on um hiring more and more people to do the things that you're not great at is important but i think you have to have proof of concept before you invest in you know, uh, a bunch of other people, you know, otherwise it's just a gamble. You're just hoping that you, that you're going to be able to, to maintain the salaries for the people that you hire. Um, but I think, you know, if there's one thing that I would recommend to people that we could have done better in the beginning, because this started as a passion project for us more than anything. Uh, so we weren't really, um, formal with a lot of, with, with a lot of agreements that we had, we hired a lot of friends, you know, we did stuff like that. Uh, and I would, you know, first and foremost, advise that you have contracts that are very clear with everybody who works for you. And also, I would, in general, unless it's somebody that you really, really believe you can work with, try to avoid uh, working with friends because it's tough. You know, it's especially if they come in early and they're on the sort of ground level. Uh, you know, I think it's very easy for people to see the success of a business and develop a sense of entitlement and. Uh, it's a tough position to be in because it's awkward because you don't want to ruin a friendship and but you still have to you know put business first and and keep people in check so it, if, if that's something you can avoid i think it's a good idea yeah, yeah when it when it comes to contracts like i that that was gonna be like my first answer um being professional that's what it comes down to like don't don't start your business like it's you know like on an excel sheet and steffi cohen fitness just be professional with your name be professional with how you interact with people with your with your email with your with everything and even like with, with your with your employees you know like yeah. they need to know exactly what they what their expectations are what they need to do what the next step is going to be the length of their their contract even if you don't know exactly the direction that your business is headed 
like just recently I was talking to someone who was partnering with a friend of theirs for a podcast. This person has like a huge, uh, a huge platform, like millions of followers on, on Instagram. And I'm like, Hey, have you thought about where the ad money is going to go? Like when, when people start asking you, asking to, uh, advertise. advertise on your podcast. And she's like, Oh no, I don't know. Maybe half a 50, 50. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. People are coming to your podcast because you are the face because you have a shit ton of exposure, not because of your best friend. So yeah, and having that conversation that early would have been good. I mean, I'm in the same boat, by the way, right? Mm -hmm. If I had had clear job descriptions laid out, hey, this is the roles and expectations earlier and often, I would have solved a lot of problems, especially in the early phases, like you're saying, Hayden. Sure. And like, to your point, um, Steffi, like, I, I think that there's oftentimes it starts off and everybody starts off with the best intentions. They really do. But as things grow, people start to get a little bit weird. And I think if you could have those birds and the bees and awkward conversations early, it'll hopefully alleviate some of the challenges down the road. For example, your friend's podcast. I mean, if they can have that conversation now, then it lays the framework for the future. But as it grows, it can cause a bunch of resentment. So that's really, really, really good feedback from both of you guys. I, I want to switch gears a little bit just to kind of finish off this conversation because I think it's interesting. When I was first getting into um, competitive CrossFit, I would seek out different people in different ranges who are experts in their field. One of the areas that, as of recently, I, I, you, you guys were bringing this up, and I, actually, I agree with you, so I'm curious. Why do you think, you know, in CrossFit, for CrossFit Games athletes, a lot of people seek out the best in gymnastics, the best in Olympic weightlifting, the best here? But for some reason, with the, in particular, the squat, the deadlift, and the press, bench press, press in general they don't really pursue it as far as they pursue the other things it's not to say they don't find experts i know that you worked with frazier for example stephanie but like why do you think they kind of put um power lifting a little bit behind in terms of additional education I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that i i think there's a few reasons why uh the first one i mean you just you before you got on uh, started recording the podcast you told a pretty funny story of your experience with west side and uh you know, it, it's the stereotypical powerlifter is not a very welcoming and friendly looking individual, right? Like your story was you went into West Side, this guy's bleeding out of his face in the middle of a squat. They're all five, 400 pounds. Sniffing ammonia, screaming, oh, yeah. listening, listening to the meanest music you can imagine. Uh, so, I mean, and, and that's very, you know, if you look at CrossFit culture, that is almost the exact opposite of the vibe that CrossFit puts off, which is very welcoming, you know everyone's cheering for the person and who's in last and all that stuff that makes CrossFit awesome. Um, I think the other, another issue is that it's easy to look at powerlifting and think because everybody can do a squat, everybody can do a bench and deadlift for the most part, that that's where it ends and you don't need to be coached any further. And I think that's actually really a misguided idea because even if you look at what people assume to be the simplest exercise, which is bench within powerlifting, that's the one that power lifters have the most trouble with the one that's the most technically demanding and the one that takes the longest for us to learn and, and master. And most of us don't ever actually end up mastering it. So I think that's, uh, it's just a misrepresentation of the complexity and difficulty of the sport itself. Um, and beyond, beyond the skills that you need to develop within those three movements, the benefits of having someone who understands strength and who understands strength for performance I mean, it's, it's the, the benefits are limitless, you know, when it comes to, uh, to a sport like CrossFit, obviously understanding how to get stronger, when to get stronger and 
polishing up your technique can have such a tremendous impact in yes. your ability to perform. But, and you know what's, what's amazing to me is like if I, uh, you know, if I watch, you know, a CrossFit competition and then the workout is squat and I'll see not a single person squatting low bar. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is a max squat event. You know, yeah. if someone was squatting low bar, you might be able to add 50 pounds to your squat just by switching it up. So let's dive into that for a quick second. So, so I'm going I'm to hit you with two questions. If you're a high school or college football player and they said, hey, I want to get stronger, what is, what is the non-negotiable, um, you know, once a week? They say, hey, I got an hour, two hours, once a week or twice a week, whatever. What's the, what is the, 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 the holy grail? What's the king, queen, whatever you want to call it? What would you have them do? That's a, that's a what would question. That's a tough question because the first thing would be whether or not the person is able to safely perform a squat since that's not their main sport, right? Like I would never put someone to do a movement that is going to impair them from doing their main thing. So let's say assuming that they can safely perform a squat in a, in, or a deadlift. Yeah, that the proficiency in all the movements are equal. Yeah. What's the most bang for your buck? I guess is the question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, I think squat, I think, uh, you know, like for somebody, if you're, if you're playing hockey or soccer or, or, uh, football, something where you're going to need to be strong and, and call on yourself to have, uh, you know, an explosive component to your movement. I think that's, that's the most valuable. I think maybe deadlift would be second. Squat and all of its variations. Like if we just yeah. do squat, squat sure. variations, squat to a box, squat, squat with chains, with bands, front squat, safety squat, bar. squat safety bar, chambered. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then if you were to do that, and I agree with you, by the way, I think the squat is the, the best. Um, what would be the rep scheme? If you can only do it once or twice a week, what would the rep scheme be? Five by five? I'm really well, curious. Yeah, well, it would honestly depend on, on the season, right? Like if you're yeah. in or off season, say that you're off season and you're trying to develop your strength, you have two days a week to work on it, likely one of those days. Actually, if you have just two days, likely I would have them go to a, um, top a top set, a top set followed by volume. So whether that's a five rep max for the day or a three rep max or a two rep max for the day, um, and then uh, dropping down, doing some volume, maybe a three by three or a four by three, something like that to accumulate volume. But I think that for the most part, that's a pretty effective way to train, right? Cause you're, you're challenging yourself. You're, you're, you're really getting to those kind of like high, uh, percentage, percentage slash RPE, uh, mm -hmm. uh, numbers. And then you're accumulating volume, which helps you with just building resiliency, accumulating some, uh, some reps so that you can then, uh, showcase the strength that you've been building. So you get like it. the best of both worlds. And I, th I think there's a strong motivational component too when you're, when you allow athletes, especially young ones, uh, to, test themselves. to test themselves. And especially, you know, young athletes are the ones who are most likely going to be able to make the most progress in the shortest period of time. So they might come in every week and be able to add five pounds or 10 pounds to their, their squat five rep max as a new lifter. And I think that's highly, highly motivating for, for people. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I want to dive into what you said, cause I thought the low bar was a really interesting topic. So when I was first getting into um, competing in CrossFit, I went out um, and saw Louis Simmons at Westside. We started diving into low bar back squat for those people who are unfamiliar with it. Um, I mean, you guys could dive into it more than I can, but, but um, okay, so let's start off. What's the difference between a high bar and a low bar back squat? I'll let you guys speak on it. Honestly, just a two inch difference in bar placement. 
people think that the difference is much larger, but in reality, it's just the difference between angling your body, having to accommodate for the lower placement of the bar by angling your body slightly more forward versus staying more vertical. And the difference here is basically just which muscles are you going to be utilizing more. So in a low bar squat, because the angle of the hip is the one that changes the most, your glutes and your hamstrings are the muscles that are going to be used the most versus in a high bar when you're keeping your body more upright and you're allowing your knees to travel farther forward the angle that changes the most is the knee so the muscle that's working the most is the quads so um you know if you can summon bigger muscles the theory is that you can lift more weight so doing low bar squat will allow you to use your glutes and your hamstrings to a greater degree so it'll hypothetically help you lift more weight yeah, I love that. I love that concept with, with which which hinge is having the most movement. I, I haven't heard of it, in, it described that way. That was, that was a really good way to describe it. And I was first introduced to low bar. I did my first powerlifting competition, and I was wearing. I was just such a fish out of water, man. I looked like a total goofball out there. But anyways, I was using low bar. Don't worry. So I love the concept of low bar. Love everything you guys dive into with the business. Um, to wrap it up, you know, what, what, are, what are the big things coming up for higher performance? You know, you and I, we were, we were talking about an app earlier. Um, we were talking about kind of always this idea of uh, innovation, right? Next level. Let's keep moving. You guys and us. What's next for you guys? What's the next thing that you have on your mind? Whether it's competition or from the business perspective, what's, what's the big thing right now? We've got a few, few irons in the fire. Steffi's uh, uh, in the process of publishing a book. Uh, along with our COO Ian Kaplan, which is cool. Uh, it's a big, big thing. When's that um, supposed to come out, Sevi? End of the year. End of the year. And is that going to be more like what is it? What type of book is it going to be? Uh, this is a book about back pain, like uh, strategies and a step-by-step -step process to overcome back injuries. It's called uh, Back in Motion. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, because you're diving into your physical therapy background, obviously, and then your practical application. Perfect. Okay. Exactly. And then, I mean, I, my goal from now until next year is to really develop our educational curriculum. That's something that I'm passionate about. I've, I've honestly always wanted to be a professor, but I dread traditional jobs and I dread having to report to someone and all that stuff. So, you know, I think we're the way we're headed as far as the way that people are consuming material and education is in the form of non-traditional platforms like YouTube and webinars and in-person seminars and that kind of stuff. Like Gen Z is all about self being self-taught. So I think this is a really great opportunity to position hybrid as kind of the leading authority in strength training. You know, we're going to stick to what we know, which is how to get stronger and how to improve in other aspects of your life, mindset and physically and maybe other sports. Uh, and really like create something special that will will give people the guidance that they need to become better professionals if you're a trainer or a coach and people who just are wanting to explore uh, other areas of fitness. I love that. Well, guys, if um, you know someone wants to know more about hybrid, perhaps they're in a Miami area where, you know, near your gym or whatnot, um, where can they find out more about hybrid? You guys, um, where is the best place for them to go? Is there a website that's easy? The, the best place is probably uh, through Instagram. If you go to at hybrid performance method, everything's there. We have pages for the gym, for the podcast, for the apparel. Uh, everything that we do is there. The, the link tree link 
you know, we'll link you to all the relevant stuff for training, nutrition, and all that stuff. So that's that's the best spot. And then the website. And then the website, yeah, uh, which is just hyperperformancemethod.com. Uh, I got it right here on my phone. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm looking forward to the book. I think that's that's going to be long overdue. I think education is critical, and I really appreciate you guys' insight. So thank you very much, and uh, looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having us.